Attention, citizens, it's time for Super Pope Science. Hello, this is Super Pope Science, where we talk about how genre gets made. We've been on many misadventures in many strange lands recently, but I thought it would be important for us to get back to the nitty-gritty of making things. I'm here with two long-suffering co-hosts, Samantha Biko and Justin Curry, also known as Chasing Artwork. Um, and we're going to talk about the deep existential dread that settles into us when we're creating things, sometimes, as makers of art and story. I haven't, I haven't really told them this, but now they know. Hello, Gregory, and uh, I'm coming live at you from the void. It's dark here. Nothing makes it out. And I've been trapped here for years. But I uh, came here myself. I did this to myself. And so I, uh, I accept the consequences. Dear listener, the last time I talked to Sam, she was uh, 90,000 words into 120, 130,000 words of her last novel in the uh, Realms of Ancient series. Correct. Yeah. What that means is she's close to everything going wrong. (laughs) It's a whole process of going wrong until something goes right. Uh, And eventually you feel comfortable in the garbage you're spewing. No, um, yes, that is exactly what's happening. Hi. So, okay, so let's start at the beginning. For someone, if this is their first podcast of ours, we write and illustrate things, we make up stories, we go to shows and we sell the stories, we publish books traditionally, but none of that is what we're gonna talk about today. What we're gonna talk about is the actual craft, the actual point in which sometimes when it's dark, or when you're alone, you question your life choices. Mm-hmm. And uh, by the craft, you mean we are the weirdos, Mr. The Craft. <laughs> that is what I meant, yes. That's exactly where we are. Yeah. So what would you like to know? So here's what I want to know. You're 90,000 words in, right. there, thereabouts. Mm-hmm. Um, but you had written things, you, you know. Just, just a sec. Yeah. 90,000 words for somebody who doesn't usually talk about books in mm. terms of Great. word yeah, count. What's that mean? Yeah, what's that look like? It's about 300 a page, right? Sure. Like how many pages, if that was a so normal... So far, it's no. about 300. Okay. It'll probably be around 550 or 600. Gotcha. Uh, so that's hella huge. I mean, your average kind of standalone novel is about 50 to 60,000 words. Um, in fact, we are coming up on National Novel Writing Month in November. For those of you who are interested in maybe kind of cracking out the novel and you've never been able to finish it, I do highly recommend NaNoWriMo. Uh, you can go online and find more information about it. But it is a large worldwide community of folks taking part in writing 50,000 words of a brand new project in one month period. I made a promise yesterday that I've already <laughs> regretted that You're I've committed do to do 50,000 words. So... Uh, Did Dr. Jonathan Ball text you? Yes, Dr. Jonathan Ball (laughs) texted me um, over from his own podcast, Writing the Wrong Way, and asked if I uh, uh, dared commit such a thing. Now, I don't know if I've committed to doing a full novel project in that time, but I have committed to doing 50,000 words. I have a bunch of stuff I have to write, Mm -hmm. and so the have-tos need to come before the want-tos. Right. So when you consider that the goal of NaNoWriMo is to write 50,000 words, and to a lot of people, that is a full finished novel. I'm at 90,000 words, and it is not finished. 
It is about, I would say, three-fifths So why aren't finished. you any good? Why can't you finish it in 50,000 words, Sam? Wow, because of the void. Um, no, because uh, this is a more complex fantasy series, and so I've got a lot of weird things to say and weird things to do to the people that I've made up, so I need more space to do that in. Uh, the first book, Sign of the Fox, was 127,000. The second book was 135,000. So I'm kind of aiming for the same ballpark. So mm -hmm. when you plotted the book originally, mm -hmm. you're more of a plotter than a pantser. Right? I've had to become a plotter uh, because it actually alleviates a lot more anxiety because uh, everyone gets anxiety when they write. As long as you have a general roadmap, knowing where the story is going, uh, then that helps a lot. But to <laughs> I did plot it, Gregory. And now it. it's completely different from what, what I, I plotted. <laughs> so when you look back at your notes, the reason I bring this up is because I have some notes of a project that I thought was all planned. Let's get some yeah. good Foley in there. Oh, page I thought it was all planned. Um, no, it's awful. No. It won't work the way I thought it will. Yes. Um, and so it made me think about asking you guys those same things when mm -hmm. you have to face the plan changing. What you, do you do? You just do it. Why don't you just give up? Wouldn't that be easier? It sure would, unless you have a contract and a deadline. <laughs> but uh, if you don't have those things, which a lot of people don't, it is still in your best interest to finish the project. And also remember that you're working to make the project the best it can be. And if that story or the way that you get to that story changes, uh, you should really, really do what's in the best interest of what you've started so that you can finish because finishing is very important. I think a big element here that we've talked about a lot, now that we're at this point in our careers and paths, we've learned to let things go and let some of our stories die a little bit or mm. change. And we realize that just because this idea came first does not make it the best idea and you don't need to hold on to it. Especially earlier on when I was working on books and projects, how I imagined it at first, I tried to hold on to that and that's what I wanted to do even though I think better ideas were kind of fighting their way to the top. I, I had this like, I just wanted to keep it that original concept. And as I've gotten more... Uh, just more experience and, and stuff like that. And I realize letting that original idea change and evolve is a really, really good thing and trying to grasp onto that original content and, and stay true to that doesn't always work out for the best. So you gotta be able to change, you gotta be able to let the idea evolve and, and that's not a bad thing. <laughs> we'll never get out of here, Alan, never, never, never. Stop it, do you hear me? Stop it, this doesn't sound like you. We're not lit yet. So I just watched the film The Lost City of Z, which is about real-life explorer. Who's it about? Percy Fawcett. Wow, you were ready with that. Yeah, I was ready. I was super prepared for this. <laughs> nice to um, The thing, too, that I took away from this film about an explorer who went, who believed that um, civilizations, um, that a great civilization existed in the jungles of South America, and that if he could find it, he could prove to uh, Britain that... Um, the peoples of the new world are on equal footing with everybody else. And he was facing a lot of racism and a lot of uh, pushback. And he himself had a lot of institutionalized racism about the whole process. But um, he himself was lost. He took his son into the jungle and they were lost forever, probably died of a horrible disease. But he went on five or six of these expeditions looking for that lost city. 
This sounds really like a good uplifting tie-in yeah. yeah, to how do you finish your novel. Yeah. <laughs> so, but what made me think of this just now is that it connects to what Justin was saying about realizing that maybe you should just be happy with what you found. So like this movie, in particular, if we extend this metaphor, is about a person never happy with the evidence that he's found and always wanting more perfect He's holding evidence. on to that original idea of finding right. this mega metropolis hidden in the jungle. Right, and because he can't find it, he's not satisfied with the fame or the accolades that he receives for the things he did find and continues to go back as sort of a life's work until it finally it destroys him. Destroys him. Um, but you learn differently. You were like, hey, look, this trinket in the jungle proves my theory close enough. Let's go explore somewhere else. Hmm. Right? But how do you not... So the flip here is that there really was a lost city. And when more than 100 different explorers went looking for him, this is not in the movie. I did some subsequent research. People from the National Geographic Society went looking to find him. Uh, they found the lost city that he was looking for by looking for his body. And so he was right all along, and that giant metropolis under the jungle was really there. What a horrible story. Is it, though? <laughs> no, because without him, it would never have been found by anyone without him paving the way. Um, he may Poor not guy. have lived to see it, but that's his legacy. And so I've been thinking about how that relates to <laughs> stories, and that sometimes novels miss the mark, right? Like I was thinking, um, you know, there's this remake of Dune that they're doing, uh, in film, but there's been lots of Dune novels, and Dune is a book that I really like, and so I revisited and I've been listening to them again on audiobook. And I realized that it's a spectacularly ahead of its time novel when looking at the idea of like how a patriarchy is damaging to society. But it misses the mark in a lot of ways because of where it came from. And maybe we are all just hacking our way through the jungle, and it's only after we're gone that someone else will complete the journey. So, ever feel that way about your book, Sam? Or sometimes there, there's been some ideas that I've had that I was really, really excited about them at the time, but I wasn't ready to tackle them yet. Mm -hmm. They were just a little too, my skill set wasn't quite ready for it. Um, the Pixar and Disney guys talk about how finding, no, finding Nemo and Wally, -E, like they had those ideas at the same time as like Toy Story. But they knew with uh, like Nemo, they weren't ready for it because they couldn't get underwater stuff right. And it wasn't until they did... Didn't have the skills yet. There was a couple other movies where they basically, they figured out their underwater tech and then they knew they were ready for Finding Nemo. And then subsequently after that, they were ready for WALL-E because of all the floating in space. They had right. that figured out with Nemo. So it was... They had all these ideas almost at the oh, same time. Oh, because the water physics translates to space physics. Oh, but like so all the skill sets they needed weren't there yet. And I feel like I've got a lot of projects that I'm going, like I've been thinking about for years, but I'm not ready to do yet because my skill set is still working towards it. Okay, but mm -hmm. you're not off the hook yet. Okay. Because that level of self-awareness is obvious in retrospect. When you look back and say, oh, I knew I wasn't ready, so I waited. Fine. Or is that just a lazy excuse? Well, no. How do you know you're not, like, where does that... The, where, the only way you can you arrive go. at that station is by getting on the train. So you have to just put it into practice. And you're going to have to put it into practice for years, maybe a decade, for you to come back to a project that didn't work 
and to look at it with those eyes of experience. And you can't get there by sitting in the same place and just tearing out your hair and saying, why isn't it working? Yes, it does take a bit of self-awareness, um, but it also just takes getting down and doing the work and learning about yourself and your process and how you've gotten there already. Um, so it's not like it's a magic bullet. It's just do the work, um, which a lot of people, they want to get there, like these Disney and Pixar folks. They want to be there now, um, but they had to say, it's fine. Can't be there yet. We can't be there yet. And you have own. to, you do have to do that. But how do you get there? By listening to how other people have done it as well. It's also a great help. Okay, so I was listening to an interview with M. Night Shyamalan talking about how he's sort of back into films now and how he does it. And he was talking about how he went through this period of being young enough to not know better and being skilled enough to have just enough craft to accomplish something. So put another way, he didn't know that he shouldn't have made films the way he did, but he had enough craft to finish them and then they turned out okay. But then as he progressed as a filmmaker and his craft got better, the craft shielded him from making bold moves and his films became progressively less and less interesting. This is in his own words. This is not my critique of him. This is him talking about it. And that now he brings young filmmakers in around him, people who don't have the craft or the name or the experience. He brings in young cinematographers, young editors, people who are wanting to pivot wildly and he lets them have their way with his content. And that has put him back sort of on the map with his most recent films mm -hmm. by like harnessing that wildness. So are his we all too long in the tooth to do anything great anymore is my question to you. Say Have you again. used up all of your youthful vigor <laughs> and are you trapped by craft after a while? No. No. Mm, isn't that what you'd say if you were trapped by craft? <laughs> Got a ways to go. You think so? I haven't, I haven't made my Avatar The Last Airbender yet. <laughs> oh, yikes. Yeah, yeah. Okay, them's fighting words. Sorry, M. Night. I'm s I still that. haven't forgiven him for that. The, was it, um, not Glass, Split. I really enjoyed Split. Yeah, and that's him back on top, mm -hmm. yeah, for sure. But it, does, it still doesn't make up for Avatar. We'll see how Mr. Glass turns out. Interesting. Mm -hmm. I found myself relating to his comments in his interview about how He's a very sentimental person, and when people identify the films that were terrible, he realizes that he made them for his kids, that you know he wanted his family and his fans to appreciate him, and so he did scary movies, and then when he had kids, they were the only fans that he cared about, so he wanted to make movies that, made, that they liked. Where does The Happening fall into that? Did he make The Happening for his kids? <laughs> no, that was the studio. Now, this is just me pontificating, I don't know for a fact, but I think that's the studio saying, do more of what you're known for. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. And really highlight how terrible Mark Wahlberg is. Do absolutely <laughs> no, everything no, you can. No, no, we're not on this podcast to tear down people. Right? <laughs> I, was, I was bringing something but, in but the man's own fun. words about his process. <laughs> and that now that, he is not, now that his kids are older mm -hmm. and he wants to scare the pants off them because they're the age he was when he first was scared by those movies, he's sort of found that voice again. And that it's the audience showing up that is allowing him to make these films. But that now, rather than get studio money to make these movies, he mortgages his house every time he makes one of those movies. So you, he fronts his own money and risks his own livelihood to make something and therefore can be more risky with it. Swing away, Meryl. 
swing away. You're on the third book. Mm-hmm. Why don't you just finish it, Sam? I know. What's my problem? What it's almost as problem? if I've had to come into this studio and uh, <laughs> and work for these two Listen, guys. We don't tell you our problems. <laughs> no, um, I am finishing <laughs> Actually, we it. Do. It's your job to solve our problems. I am getting up every morning two hours before I get here and doing the work, and then I go home and I do more of the work in addition to my client work. But um, of course, you're paid really well for that time. <laughs> yes, Gregor. That siren. It was very well-timed because you're in danger. (laughs) Um, Yes, why don't I just finish it? I mean, uh, this is book three, and it's wrapping up two other books. So it's wrapping up all of these things that I have introduced, explained, all the consequences, all the choices, all these random made-up people have made. And the big concern, which is a concern for a lot of creators when they are taking these risks like this is stick the landing in fact that is the first sentence of book three is stick the landing and, and a character a- is thinking it about something else but oh it's me <laughs> <laughs> um because yeah it's uh it's a lot of things and there are people who've read it and they have their expectations and you have to balance their expectations but what i found that's been interesting about this book and i was thinking about it in these terms uh, a couple of days ago is that I had planned it, and I had written the first 30,000 words a year ago, and I have deleted all of those words. None of those words made it into the book. Maybe one shining concept from one chapter made it in. Three-fifths of NaNoWriMo you just erased? I just threw it out, Um, but it was... It was a good exercise to get back into um, the motivations and the brains of all of these characters um, that I've been writing, but the things that they introduced in those 30,000 words... um, they, they didn't have any bearing on the final kind of narrative that I'm putting forth. And that's fine. And I'm fine with that. I'm glad that I sat down and did that work. Um, and now I can put it away. Now, you had a, a journey to this third book that started with, like, in the library. A much younger Sam mm-hmm. writing a much different book. Mm-hmm. Could that younger Sam have thrown away 30,000 words? No. I don't even think that younger Sam knew anything about her own writing Um, and that's a lot of what I've discovered about my process and how I write and what becomes important to me in a narrative didn't exist it only started becoming apparent the more writing I was doing Um, especially on the last book on Children of the Bloodlands which just came out last week that book I wrote in a very compressed time when I didn't have this luxury of, oh, I'll just throw it away. Um, You know, that was 130,000 words in 30 days because I think I've talked about it before, the deadline changed. Um, But I found that a lot of really great stuff came out of that, but it was also a big big, um, influence of discipline that that got me there. Um, Sam, who wrote The Lake in the Library, that book, she needed to write it. I'm glad that she did got her foot in the door, got her right of first refusal in her contract. Um, and it's only now five years after it's been published that I'm able to look at it from a very, f- from arm's That's reach. A step in the journey. Right, and yeah. to just say that book needed to happen so that better writing could happen too. Um, but there are still people who pick it up and enjoy it. So it's saying something to them. And, and that is what's And your important. publisher wanted it. Mm-hmm. Like you didn't have the objective um, perspective. Mm-hmm. To say this was no I guess you did you knew you believed it was good enough to send it out but now that it's published you don't believe it's good enough 
It's not That's that a I, complicated it's thing. It's not that I don't believe it's good enough. I just believe that it's different from who I am now as a writer. Um, and it, I probably would have written it differently now than the way it, it is. But yeah. you kind of have to say, I did it. It's done. It's, ba- it's out there now. Um, and it's a part of me, even though it's not as it's not reflective of who I am as a writer now. Do you, Justin, have work that is out in the world? I mean, and you have a different sphere because of your, um, we'll hang air quotes above this for the podcast listeners, your internet famous uh, artwork that still comes up in Google searches related to chasing artwork that is now five or eight years old. Does it bother you to see that work? as indicative of who you are? No, not really. I think we, I think it's good that we can look back and think, oh God, I can do better now. Right. Which is like a lot of the, the earlier projects that I worked on, I was super proud of at the time and they needed to happen because they were stepping stones to where I am now. But the Royal Wedding Book. The Royal Wedding Book, yeah. I worked (laughs) on a, a short comic about, uh, and with all the hype of the royal wedding, I did a, a short comic Many on years Prince ago, Harry. Yes. Prince Harry. Justin yeah. did a Prince oh, Harry. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So it taught me a lot. <laughs> and it was a stepping stone. But, yeah, I don't necessarily want it around me right now. <laughs> right. <laughs> kind of thing, you know? Except all of our listeners are now furiously Googling. <laughs> but, okay, so how... Again, you are speaking from a person now many years later who has reconciled that. How, is there some mental exercises, some tricks, some perspectives, some great philosophy quotes that you can give people to help them say, okay, I'm at the beginning of this journey where I'm a little bit afraid and a little bit ashamed and now I don't know what to do next? What, what advice can you give you having just handed in Lake in the Library and now starting to write again? What advice can you give yourself, Prince Harry? <laughs> I really like the, uh, I don't know where I heard this one or read this one, but the only trick worth remembering, the only like tip you need is um, practice. It's all about the mileage. So I'm better than I was because I've done, I've done more. more. I've just I've worked more. It's all about the hours you put in. And I think... I've heard that every time I, I listen to an interview by like an artist or somebody that um, I admire, or I like their work, it usually comes down to that is they've just put in the time. And so, yeah, you might not be super thrilled about the project you're working on now, but finish it and it's going to teach you a couple of things that are going to help you with your next one and that'll lead to the next one and the next one. Yeah, interesting. I've had, um, there's this perception of the talent that comes out of nowhere like people, you know, like when something breaks in the news or breaks in sort of the awareness of popular culture, people will be like, oh, this brand new artist or it's like came out of nowhere. But, and I've been seeing that a little bit related to my own work recently online where, you know, we have some press for the new project and it's like, oh, this new artist. And it's like, I've been laboring at this job nonstop mm-hmm. for 10 years. Mm-hmm. And now I'm finally being looked at as this new artist on the comic scene. Is a hard thing. To, you want to just be gracious about it, right? You want to be like, oh, well, thanks for noticing. But at the same time, you also want to, the part of your ego that's like, no, I've been working super hard before <laughs> now. It's not talent. It's just I didn't give up. 
Is that the same reaction when people say, oh, you're lucky you can draw. Oh, or, yeah. I wish I could draw like yeah. you. Yeah. yeah. Or can you tell me how? <laughs> and we're literally here telling you how. But yeah. people want that instant. They want a pill that they can yeah. take and then they're transformed and now they can be successful and be yeah. Mozart. Um, I think it's because to a lot of people, drawing seems like a magician's trick. And because magician's trick are in fact tricks, right? That they think that if they just knew it, they could do it too. The thing about a magician's trick is that it's... It's hours of practice. Yeah, it's uh, endless hours of practice to make it look effortless. Mm -hmm. And it's the same with novel writing. I also get people coming up to me, how do I write a book? And it's just like, like being punched because there's just, there is no easy answer um, except just do the work. Um, And what I would have told myself, my younger self, would just be, just take it easy and enjoy it because it's going to go by really fast when you do... Um, write something that you really love and it gets published and um, everyone's going to have a a subjective opinion about it because that's what happens when you enter these public consumption spheres Um, and just and just to keep writing like Lake in the Library wasn't my first novel that I finished actually my first novel is sitting in a hard drive oh I have a terrible first novel too untouched so bad but I finished it and it was important to me and then it led me to writing another thing and another thing and hey that I want to explore something else that I didn't get to in book one. Oh, terrible early Gregory has a 160,000 word novel in a horrible trash heap mm-hmm. it's so bad but, but you I needed kept to it get, I, well I have I probably could find it yeah, yeah. Um, but I absolutely needed to write at the time I thought like mm-hmm. oh I'm the next Faulkner but this is it um, <laughs> no, then like not long after sort of getting close to the end of reading the beginning and being like, what is this about? This is mm-hmm. nothing. This is just like a rambling mess. Yep. Right. But I, the book, that book for me, it's not good. It's not well written. However, I will probably go back to it and rewrite it using the skills that the I have now. Because yeah. the idea was there. Um, and I still, I still look back on it fondly, but I'll probably express it in a different manner. Um, so, Having those projects are important and keeping them either in the back of your head or on a hard drive somewhere are also important. Yeah, I have a cut piece. It's actually a piece that I cut out of that terrible book uh, from way back that's been coming back to me. The piece that I thought didn't fit that is the only piece of it that I think is worth developing now. So I sometimes wonder if maybe, yeah, we just had to give birth to all that Mm -hmm. chaff so that we could find some wheat in there. Isn't he one of the titans? He might be. He's big enough. You're going to, you're probably going to approach projects, write them, create them, draw them differently, depending on what it is you're trying to say, every single project. So, and you're, you might, again, approach it differently with different methods, because that works for that story. And it may not have worked for the last story that you plotted from A, B to C, and then you could just hammer it out in 30 days. Um, on this book that I'm trying to finish right now, it's not the same. I've written the ending. I've written the. I've written four climactic battles. I've written the, like I just have all these big holes in it that I'm now trying to fill. Should have stitched together, pull it together. Yeah. The patchwork is there. And that's working way better than it would have for the last one. That was such a big time crunch. Okay, I have a question for you guys. How has your knowledge of the world of publishing changed the way you write? Because when we're young mm-hmm. and we're idealistic and we're writing from outside 
of mm-hmm. publishing. We're just making stuff for its own sake. The like the tall tower of publishing seems insurmountable and hard to get into. And we feel like if only we wrote the brilliant story, we could get in there. Now you're inside mm-hmm. up that tower. And I've also worked in the tower. Oh, I know you have. So you I've... laid the mortar and the bricks to build that tower. Yes. To lift yourself away from us. See just Sam on top of a tower yelling at young writers down below. Get Wish off you could my be lawn. me. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm trying to collect myself so that the, because uh, dear listener, I'm sure you've sensed a pattern from me being on this show. Why is she so bitter? Why is she so <laughs> cynical? She has everything. <laughs> and um, it's uh, having, being able to look behind the curtain of publishing um, has taken the pressure off me in a way because... Yeah, from a distance, it's this beautiful, shining, golden ivory tower. But when you get inside, it's full of people, and it's full of people. <laughs> and they're just people re- are the worst. And they're just oh, regular man. folks, and they have a business to run, and it's all a business based on taking a risk on imaginative hallucinations impressed upon dead trees, um, and because of that, it kind of, like I said, it just it takes it takes the pressure off to know that oh, okay, well. It's just, it is a business, um, and I am lucky to be here, And but here are some things that I can do as an author to make it more likely that I can keep doing these things. And I wouldn't necessarily say that influences my writing or my stories. Like, I'm not pandering when I'm writing. Um, right. yeah. Like, oh, and I write things that take place in Canada, it's because... I live in Canada and I like it. <laughs> it's the setting. I'm not doing it to try and get grants. I'm not doing it to try and, um, you know, get the next book because the publisher believes in the story, the initial right. story or the writing, and uh, they're continuing to work with me. Um, but I will have like a trunk of projects and that when this contract is over, when the brilliant dark is on shelves, what's next for old Sam? What if it's bad? What if the Brilliant Dark's bad? Yeah, like what if the Brilliant Dark is the Zune of the MP3 players? Wow. Thank you. Ouch, yeah. What if it works really good, but people just don't want it? It's fine. No, but how do you get there? This is what I'm interested in talking about today. How do you get to the it's fine? Yeah. Yeah, inside inside I'm screaming. Right, okay. (laughs) I'm just trying to be very contained here. Um, It's fine. I'll just have to write the next thing and... Maybe someone will like it. I mean, the lake in the library got pulled out of the slush pile because of one person's subjective opinion about it. It right. wasn't for the 15 other people it got rejected from before it got accepted. So that's just the world, baby. You get more than one shot, too. Like, how many yeah. terrible... You what if you only get two? You get two? When are you using it up right now? But you don't. The thing is that he keeps putting out these uh, hypotheticals, but you don't only get two chances. And if it doesn't work for anyone, publish it yourself. The Gregory and Justin story. Yeah. Oh. How many Stephen King novels did he write before? Was it the car one was the first one that really picked? No, no it was Carrie. It was Carrie. It was, was the Carrie. first one that got published. Right. But he was writing short story after short story and submitting them to magazines and doing it like in that old school way where what you did was publish short stories first before you got a novel. Right. And he labored at that task. Mm-hmm. He put his, there was no sudden discovery. There was a lot of what you're talking about where you're just putting in the time until you get a lot to be of zooms before that. There was a lot of yeah. zooms before. <laughs> and Carrie wasn't for everyone until it was for everyone. That's right, um, yeah. But that's just, that is just publishing. Um, and because the landscape of publishing has changed and it isn't just one golden tower 
Um, it's you can build your own tower, in fact, and that's um, that has changed the game a bit because that's how you guys make your living. A good portion of it now, yeah. But are we wrongheaded about that? This is me. This is me throwing shade on everything we've ever done. Are we going about things the wrong, the wrong way? way? Yeah, like if, you know, if we, if our work was strong enough to get the audience it has now, shouldn't we reach out to larger publishers and allow them, because it's clearly brilliant then, to put it in the world market so that we can be super uber successful it's not that the work isn't brilliant enough it's that the model of publishing itself doesn't allow for everything at all times because the resources are limited and because the risk taking is limited um, so imagine all of those people who uh, were told that they only have one way to do it and if they can't do it the one way well then that's it Imagine all of the brilliant novels, the brilliant art, the brilliant music that hasn't, just doesn't exist because that person decided to become a banker or go into real estate or become a teacher just because they were told, well, hey, what do you got against teachers? No, hey? what I'm saying Jeez, is they were right told that what they do is wrong and not good enough. Um, but now an outlet has been created to do that. So those teachers can say, well, I did enjoy teaching, but I do still have a ton of stories in me, and I'm just going to get them out there because I want to. If that machine can do what you say it can, destroy it, George, before it destroys you. Okay, so let's get practical. You uh, have a busy life outside of writing your novels, Sam. Mm -hmm. So you have started waking up super early and staying up super late to pack the hours in to write the book, even though you are from the outside a professional novelist. Mm -hmm. In order to do your job, you still have to add the writing time in around everything that goes into being a professional novelist. Yep. So Justin, you have um, the luxury of a loved one who is deep down the rabbit hole of education right now, so she's you know, relishing the fact that you're super busy and she's super busy <laughs> and you guys make time for each other when you can. And mm -hmm. it's oh, so wonderful and romantic, dear listeners, to watch it happen. But what happens when all that time is over and you guys want to spend time with each other? How are you going to make time to do all this crazy stuff? What's a practical application that our dear listener can take away? Like finding time in your yeah. schedule for other things? Yeah, you haven't had to find time. Are you worried about it? Um, uh, mm. well, right now, like we were doing quite a few events a year. Um, I've been thinking a lot about for next year, uh, what I can kind of change about my schedule. Um, just so I basically, I don't burn out and, and have to, I don't know commit myself or something because travel's fun and adventurous but travel's fun and adventurous takes but away um from your energy there there are a lot of big conventions there are a lot of medium-sized conventions and there are a lot of smaller conventions and i feel like maybe because i've been going at this so hard for so many years that maybe it wouldn't be a bad idea for a lot of those smaller conventions and medium-sized conventions for me to take a uh, a skip year or start rotating through them um some smaller shows you do it one year, you skip the next year, you come back the next year. Um, I've had some friends start to do this, and they have noticed that um, 
kind of people are a little more excited for when they do come back. It's not a given that they're going to be there every year. And so when they are there the, the next year, it's, it's a little more exciting. And so I'm not sure if this is just because I have convention fatigue. It's the end of our convention year. It's true. We're We've right got like three left and then it's, we it's been a very, very busy year. A New very, York, very busy couple of months. Vancouver, Winnipeg, and then yeah. a break. And nope. Then a break. And then anime New York. You, yeah, I'm, I'm not doing that one. I think that's all you. You're going to get in. I'm going to get you <laughs> in so you have to come. Don't get me in. Um, but uh, yeah. And like as over the last couple of years, I've started to, uh, like when I started this, the revenue was, was basically 100% from conventions. And I've started to um, pick up and notice and learn about more revenue Multiple uh, streams, streams yeah. of income. So it's not as, like now that I've kind of put in my groundwork, it's maybe time to kind of step back and reap some of the rewards of, of building all those bridges. For 10 years. Yeah. C4 Winnipeg is chasing Artworks' 10th anniversary. Bum, bum, bum. Yeah. But A yeah. Decade. I think when look I how first... how haggard he looks now. He looks actually younger. He actually somehow. does look a little bit younger. Um, so, dear listener, whenever you purchase something from Chasing Artwork, in fact, you're, he's taking part of your essence, and that is how just he a bit. is. Just a little bit at just a time. Just a little. <laughs> um, yes, God, ten years of ten years of groundwork. And I mean, when I started here in the studio in end of March, April, first thing I said <laughs> to you guys was, "You can't do this forever," because I looked at this door in their studio. Um, you can't see it, but it's just covered in these little banners that just lists all of the shows. And every time a show gets done, they cross it out. Um, and just looking at it, I was like, you can't, you can't do this for the next 20 years. Um, <laughs> I don't. Why not? <laughs> because of there's only 35 shows on that. Now, list. see, you, you say that <laughs> you say that in jest, a man with two children. Yeah, no, I've definitely been looking at the uh, looking down the barrel of wanting to find more time to well, be at home yeah you, we've been having that talk the reason will. i've been pressed every question i leaned in on you guys is something that i've been thinking about and trying to know my own answers because gregory does not ask for advice no. he just stabs <laughs> it out of us so what yeah like same same kind of question it's it's one thing for me like i have a significant other that is so busy with law like it almost kind of it works but you have a wife and two kids at home, and yes. you've almost been on the same schedule I've been. Yeah, it's been hard. What? Yeah, yeah what are you thinking for, for next year? Something has yeah. to change, right? Yeah, something has to change. Well, one thing that's changing is my wife is launching uh, an um, online business of her own, and so she will need a lot more. It's, it has less to do with her needing my help in her business and everything to do with her needing my help in all the things that are take the family away. business, right? That all the take away. And nobody maybe better than me is as equipped to realize how much time that really is. Like I've been looking at it from the standpoint of like, she's super practical and really careful about saying like, we need this time. And I've been thinking about it. I'm like, actually you probably need double that. Oh gosh. That means I have to do all that. Mm -hmm. And it's not a question of um, like, fairness it's a question of that's what a good marriage is right for the last few years she's been doing much more than her share of the home related activities and so it's come up it's time and so how do i do that is i have to make choices on um, publishing books and projects that keep me in the studio more often so i'm trying to figure out the best way to do that one of the reasons why we've been talking to so many um, television and film producers lately is that that work is very labor intensive, but it's also the kind of work I can do from the studio. 
So it's a push-pull between what I want for myself as a creative person and what my family life will require. Um, I do not want to be the guy that uh, put his career before his family every time. But sometimes you have to in order Mm -hmm. to fill up the bucket. Now that the bucket's sort of full, maybe it's time to ladle it out a little over a few years. (laughs) I don't know. What do you say? I need advice. Tell me advice. I think you're on the right track. Also, what is what you, in the way you also frame it as well? You didn't directly say it, but you did talk around it that it has to be a conversation between you and oh, your yeah. partner. Yeah, how yeah. you're going to manage that? Because when you say, "Oh," but sometimes you do have to put your career in front of them. You have to talk to them about that. Yeah, that you wasn't a just, surprise. You can't yeah, just no, throw sure. it in their face and be like, "I have so, to put my career in front of yeah, you for so now." Yeah, so when I made the decision to uh, leave teaching to do this, you know, it was not a decision that I made by myself. It was a decision that I made over the course of a year, talking with Tara a lot and looking at what that would look like, framing in theory what, how we would balance our life, and now we're doing it in practice. So mm-hmm. it's it's about looking at those two sets of ideas, right? You know, it's uh, <laughs> the scientific method, like like we made some predictions. Right. And now that we've gathered the data, we realize we have to restate our assumptions. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're definitely in that period now. I mean, on the outside, it's like you say, on the outside, people are like, oh, but you get to travel everywhere and you get to work on these high profile gigs right now and you get to do your own creative stuff. And yeah, that's all well and good. But part of it is me just pushing the boulder as high up the mountain as I can. Mm-hmm. So that when it starts rolling downhill, um, I can get in front of it. And a thing we've talked about in this episode quite a lot is insight. And you have to have that insight into you can't do it forever. You're to limit, your resources are limited and so is your time and thus things are precious. And everything does come down to a choice. People look at authors like we are the chosen ones, but hmm. there are no chosen ones. There are only the choices that you make and um, to get to get your art out there and to get the project done. And it all comes down to making that choice every day. Glamour cannot exist if envy is not a social norm. And so this is our um, warning to you, your <laughs> listeners. Don't be envious of the things you see, the successes you see. Recognize that they are the only part you see. They're the tip of the iceberg above the water. And below that is all the stuff that people have sacrificed and worked at and tried mm-hmm. to do and all the unknown labors that have brought that thing above water for you to see. Ladies and gentlemen, this has been a super uplifting episode of Super Pulp Science, um, where we stare into the void and nothing answers back. Except me, because I'm there. (laughs) That's where I'm reporting from today. Um, So we are encouraging you to join the fight, make comics. um, Responsibly. Responsibly. (laughs) Please do so responsibly.